Caring for the victims of humanitarian disasters and wars. That's the title of our discussion. My name is Mitch Dunnick. I'm on the faculty of the In His Image training program and part of In His Image International. I want to thank you so much for joining this discussion and I'm really looking forward to sharing some things that hopefully will be beneficial to you. My plan for this session will be to share a little bit about my experience and some of the things that the Lord has allowed me to be a part of, and then we will step into details, not so much about how to do a trip, not so much about the organizational plans and the logistic things, but more concepts. What to do, what not to do, how to do it, why to do it, why not to do it, when to do it. Those are the types of things that I want to talk about because I believe those are the most important issues as we get started and then the details fall into place. So a little bit about my journey, just so you can know me a little bit better and hopefully understand my perspective and my ideas and, and my thoughts a bit in this whole process. For me, this began in, in Goma Zaire. Actually, it was way back in 1994. We went to serve the victims of the Rwandan genocide. Hundreds of thousands of people were killed. Maybe even up to a million people lost their lives in this horrific event and, and the aftermath of it and and we hopped on a plane with only a few hours notice with a team and ended over in Africa caring for people in the huge refugee uh, tent city dying of cholera, dying of meningitis, dying of dehydration and malnutrition. The Lord really cared for our team and it was a, a marvelous opportunity. It was a horrible suffering, but the Lord really was able to use our team and many other teams and other faith-based organizations that went in there to make a difference. We took a team into Banda Aceh, Indonesia, following the tsunami of 2004. We went into an area that was controlled by Sharia law where no Westerners and no Christians were allowed to go. But the doors opened because of this incredible disaster that killed about 300,000 people. And we were able to, to move in and have an impact. And there are churches in that region today that was previously totally closed to the gospel. We sent teams to the conflict in Ukraine that worked just behind the front lines taking care of both the civilian victims and 
those that were so devastated by the war and the conflict that was going on there. Been able to go into Kurdistan several times, which is in northern Iraq. It's a semi-autonomous region that is self-governed. Our primary focus was to care for the refugees from Syria and other places that were driven out of their homes by ISIS and were suffering so greatly. It was a challenging place to go. One of the most exciting reports was that because of the weather was horrible, that instead of the people coming to the clinics, our team members went in groups of two and three into the tents where the people lived and were able to sit with them and talk to them and interview them and share the truth of Jesus with them. Everybody knows about problems in Haiti, earthquakes and tropical weather storms. We've been able to send several teams over the years into Haiti to do relief work there for the people that are suffering. We've taken teams into Pakistan and actually into the Kashmir region, specifically in 2005 after a huge earthquake that struck that region and killed a thousand people. We were able to go again into an area where no Westerners and no Christians were allowed, but we were allowed to go because there was great need and we were a healthcare team. And the doors opened as we served the, the people there in Pakistan and they wanted us to pray for them in addition to do medical care and they wanted us to pray in the name of Jesus. They specifically asked us for that. We've had the opportunity to go into Afghanistan to serve the people there, to go into refugee camps, meet these people who have suffered so greatly at the hands of so many countries and nations and and even the ethnic civil war that's been going on for decades. The people said directly to me, why aren't you afraid? Everyone is afraid of this beard. They're afraid of our people. How could you come here and not be afraid? And they said, the remarkable thing that we see about you people who are followers of Jesus is that there's no fear in you, and we're afraid all the time. We had the opportunity to take a team into eastern Turkey, out near the city of Diyarbakir, and we specifically were serving a group of people called the Yazidis. The Yazidis had been chased and driven out of northern Iraq by ISIS. ISIS hates them. They believe that they're devil worshipers, and they killed and slaughtered them, and we heard horrible stories of violence and of people actually taking their own lives rather than being taken by the ISIS teams. One young Yazidi man remarked, and he said, we never knew that Jesus 
loved the Yazidis and that Yazidis could worship Jesus. We thought Jesus only loved the Christians. After a huge earthquake in Nepal in 2015, we were invited to take a team into Kathmandu and then up into the mountains and partner with Nepali Christians who were under persecution to take medical care and relief to the people that suffered greatly in Nepal. We've had other teams go into Central America, <clears throat> excuse me, specifically into Honduras. We've taken teams into Myanmar. We've had several other teams into Indonesia and other places in Southeast Asia. So we've had the incredible privilege of taking the gospel to some very difficult places and difficult. So what is a disaster? Let's get into the, the, the points of the talk. Definition of a disaster is an event causing widespread chaos, destruction, and distress, which frequently overwhelms the ability of the local population to deal with it. In summary, it's called a complex humanitarian catastrophe. That's quite a mouthful, but that's really what we're talking about, something that is just so overwhelming that is beyond the ability of the people that are in that place, that community, that region, that country, um, to really deal with the problem. The question that comes up is, should we go? Uh, or should we not go? Why do we go? In these kinds of situations, maybe it's natural to say, well, obviously I should go. But some might say, no, you should not go. That's not a place for you. That's not a place for the gospel <clears throat> to go. It's, it doesn't work. So I'm going to throw out a few reasons why we should go. And I, I'd encourage you, if you don't have a pen and paper or you've got your, your phone there, take some notes because these things are, are worth remembering and discussing and going back on all of the things we're going to talk about. First of all, we have the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. That is our Great Commission. And sometimes we can get into places that the Great Commission hasn't been able to penetrate yet because of the needs of the people. The Great Commandments. Jesus was asked, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God above all, with all your heart, soul, and mind. And, and love your neighbor as much as yourself. Love other people as much as you love yourself. Starting with the end in mind, I think is very important. It's really a great idea to stop and say, what am I doing? What's my goal? What am I trying to achieve here? Why would I put the time and the energy and the effort into this project, into this trip, into this journey, uh, unless I know what the end is? So having that clear, and, and for me, it's eternal fruit that would remain as a follower of Jesus. What does it mean to love our neighbor? Does it mean to send money? Does it mean to pray? Does it mean to weep for them? Does it mean to go to them? What does it mean to love our neighbor? And what drives us? Again, back to motivation. Why would we go? What, what moves us? Should we, should we do this? Should we not do it? 
Should we just be moved by sorrow and sadness and grief or compassion or love or motivation? We should think that through. And then finally, is there anything we can do? Can we help? If we go, what could we do? Is, could we make a difference? Is there something that is tangible that could really be impacting in the lives of those people that are suffering so well? So thinking through those thoughts, and I think even now before you're on a disaster uh, team or trip or response is a great time to think about those things. Here's a list of a few wrong reasons to go, and, and I've learned these over the years, um, both from going on trips and, and being parts of teams, and also from interacting with other relief organizations. Some of the wrong reasons that I believe. One is adventure. Some people go for adventure. This is exciting, it's an exciting place. I'm an adrenaline junkie, and I just want to go and, and get out there and get my adrenaline buzz. I don't think that's a great reason. Attention and recognition. Maybe we say, boy, if I do this, people will think highly of me. Somebody will say something nice about me. Maybe I'll get some publicity. Maybe I'll get some glory as a result of doing something that people would consider to be um, uh, a great thing to do. So that, that's not a great reason to go. How about guilt? Man, I feel so guilty that I'm blessed. I feel so guilty that I have stuff. I feel so guilty that I'm safe and healthy. And out of my guilt, I'm just, I'm, I feel obligated to try to go do something. Not a great motivator. What about need? Now you might say, well, that's strange. Of course we should go when there's need, when people are having need. We bring things that they need and we deliver them to them and it's good. However, the challenge is if we're only moved by need, how do we know if we should do it or which need we should respond to? It's the need of people and their suffering and their hurting that gets our attention. But that alone, trying to fill a need, is not a great reason to go. And finally, personal fulfillment and growth. It's kind of like the attention and recognition, but I feel good when I help people. I think I will grow through this experience. I, I, I. We can be very self-centered and self-serving, and we really need to be careful in this process that we're doing it, if we do, go for the right reasons. Then we have some hurdles that we need to overcome. Um, obviously, anybody that's been on an international trip or, or taken time to go serve, whether it's in the U.S. or or abroad, understands that there are some things that need to be taken care of, and, and there's some unique hurdles in disaster relief and disaster response. Number one that we would think of is the cost. You don't have time to plan ahead and get the cheapest plane tickets. You might have to um, give up something. You might have to purchase things without um, great time to research it and, and get the best deal. You may go to a place and because of the nature of what's going on, it may be very expensive to find a room to stay in. It may be very expensive to rent a vehicle. It may be very expensive to get food because the market changes when there's short supply. So it can be very, very expensive to do relief work. It can be very inconvenient. 
By this, I mean, well, we had things planned over the next few weeks when we're going to be gone. It's inconvenient for me. It's inconvenient for my family. It's inconvenient for the people I work with, my colleagues, my friends, my school. I had other things that I wanted to do, and it just, I just don't want to lay those things down. So it, it's very inconvenient. Maybe we could plan ahead a little bit more. A doctor that I worked with said, I want to go on one of those trips with you, but I need at least six to eight weeks to prepare in order to go on the, the disaster response trip. And I said, well, unfortunately, that's often not the way things work. Negative opinions. Some people may not want you to come. Some people may say, why are you here? What are you doing? How come you're doing this? What's motivating you? And people might not think highly of you. They might actually think negatively of you. One trip I, I was on, I remember very distinctly, where the people said, why have you come? You've only come to take advantage of the people in their time of suffering because you're a faith-based organization and you're really serving yourself when you're coming here to do good. It was quite a, a, a surprise to me the first time it happened, but it's happened several times since then. And my response has been, actually, we've, we've come to share the love of God with people because we saw they were in trouble and we have love in our hearts for them. And then when I've asked them why they've come, they've not yet had a, a good response. But it's, uh, it's something to overcome. Security and safety. Will it be safe? Um, will we be okay? Can you guarantee that there won't be problems? Can you guarantee that I will come home safe? No. Can you guarantee that there won't be bad people that are trying to do things? No. We've had, we've had supplies stolen, trucks of supplies stolen at times. We've had some of our people held up at gunpoint. Uh, we've had people that have experienced earthquakes right while they were in the middle of doing earthquake relief. Security and safety is a serious challenge, and not only for the individuals who go, but for their friends and family. And that is a hurdle that needs to really be faced. The, the fear of dying is real. And looking that fear in the face and making a decision about how you're going to go forward is really important. Maybe it's an inappropriate setting for ministry. Maybe you would think, wow, there is so much going on, there's so much trouble, there's so much difficulty, we can't do ministry there. And that may be true or it may not. And then finally we'll say, well, what about a lack of training? I, I just don't have the training. I'm not ready to go. I'm not prepared. Who am I to go? I'm not an ER doctor. I'm not an EMT. I'm not a military person. Do I really have what it takes? And, and my encouragement to you would be, yes, you do. If your heart's in it, and if you want to do this thing, keep responding and keep getting ready for when the time comes. So we're going to keep here's some here's some great reasons to go, and they kind of are paralleled with what we just talked about. There's a great need, and when there is a great need, shouldn't it be the body of Christ, the sons and daughters of God, who go with the love of God and with the love of Jesus to help? That's what Jesus did. He fed people. He healed people. He drove demons out. He hugged people. If we want to be like Jesus that would be a great model to follow. Access to closed places. I mentioned this a bit briefly already, but 
we've had the opportunity to get into countries and regions that otherwise would not be open, but their great need opens the door, especially to health care and to humanitarian aid and support. Another reason is to support the local church. We always try to find a local church, find believers, if possible, in the country or near the country that can go with us or, and facilitate their work. Support the long-term workers. Many countries have people that have been living there who are there in the name of Jesus doing work to reach the people, to serve the people. And if we can find them and connect with them and lift up their arms and help them and support them, that can be a great boost uh, of their work, of their ministry, and of them personally. So we always try to say we're here because there's other followers of Jesus in this country who love you and asked us to come. They live here with you, and we're here uh, to support them. We've been given much. We know the Word of God says that to those to whom much has been given, much will be expected. So with what we have, with our resources, with the, the gifts and strengths that we have, we should go. And finally, just to be present. If not us, who, who should go? And sit with people, and love people, and hug people, and wash their, their faces, and cleanse their wounds, and, and care about them. That's what Jesus would have us to do. I'm going to talk about a few keys for success here, and I'm going to go through these one at a time, so you don't need to worry about uh, holding on to all of these. The right team, the right place, the right time, the right partners, preparation and resources are all what I believe are things that are really important, the most important. And I can't emphasize enough that the leading of the Spirit of God is absolutely important. Because there's needs everywhere. There's trouble everywhere. But we need to know, Lord, would you have me to go? Would you have us to go? Could you lead us? Could you guide us? Could you speak to us? That we're not moved only with compassion and with the need of people, but we're moved by the leading of the Spirit of God. Absolutely. So who's on the right team? Well, you need a leader, and the leader needs to be experienced, needs to be a servant leader, needs to be somebody who loves Jesus, who loves people, who is respected in his or her personal life, and that has relationships to facilitate. Team members, on these teams, I don't just take people who volunteer. I think selecting, especially in these disaster types of response, selecting people individually based on their skill set and their experience set and their heart and their passion is absolutely necessary. Just because somebody volunteers does not make them a great team member. Structure and organization. The team needs to be structured. Amoebas don't get much done. Think about that for a little while. But there has to be leadership and there has to be divisions and there has to be responsibilities for different people. You've got luggage, you've got pharmacy, you've got food, you've got safety, you've got security, you've got transportation. So many things that need to be taken care of. Team health is another huge one. So there needs to be structure and organization. We've got to find people with the right attitude. And the right attitude is, man, I'm just here to serve. 
I'm here to love people. When we went into Pakistan, all the doctors went to work scrubbing the floors, putting the pharmacy back together, and bathing the patients. Why? Because they had a great attitude of service and that they were there to serve. Communication is really important. Communication between team members, from the leadership to the team, from the team to the leadership, and even with the home organization, are these people that don't talk out of school, that share positively things, that can speak when they need to speak, that can listen when they need to listen. Good communication cannot be overemphasized. And everybody is a little different in that, but it's absolutely important. And then team health. The team members need to be healthy. They need to be strong. They need to be fit. Um, I generally do not take people that are out of shape or that have serious medical diseases that aren't well controlled or that are obese or that um, need a lot of special care because on these types of trips, you never know what you're going to run into. Being healthy and strong and fit and sleeping in tough places and going on a little sleep is really important. So being healthy is important to getting that. How about picking the right place? What's going on there? Is there a real need? Trying to get information, trying to see what's happening, trying to see who's working, what is actually going on in the place. Is there an invitation? Almost every time we've gone, it's at the invitation of others, people on the ground in, that are uh, folks that live in the country, Maybe there's people that are in the country that are working. Maybe there's believers that say, we want to go in. Would you go with us? Can we work together? Can we be a team? That's almost always far better than just showing up without an invitation, not knowing where to go, what to do, and, and uh, who to work with. Is there support locally? Most countries will not speak English. Some do, but you need support locally with translators. You need a place to sleep. You need food. You need transportation. You need a way to get medications into the country or purchase them locally. So you need a team on the ground that can accept a team that's coming in. Can we get in and function? Maybe you say, well, we're going to go, but what if you're not able to get out of the airport? What if you're not able to serve and function as a medical team, as a healthcare team? thinking that through what's going on there. Will there be possibility to follow up? I think this is so important because often these trips are one to two weeks in duration. Maybe there's teams that follow. But can someone follow up medically? Can somebody follow up emotionally and spiritually? Can the people that are touched and blessed have a local church and local believers and local support that can care for them after the how about the right time? This is a little bit of detail, but initially, days one through five, some would even say days one through three, but if you go stretch it out a bit, days one through five are search and rescue and emergency and trauma and uh, pulling people out of rubble or pulling, uh, doing life-saving, urgent-type care. That's the initial life-saving focus and getting in at that level within days one through five of the, the onset of the disaster is very difficult, but that's, that's one focus. Then there's a transitional focus, which is 
switching from the urgent and emergent type situations into semi-urgent needs and stabilizing the country. Maybe it's changing dressings. Maybe it's um, still needing some IVs but changing off intravenous medications to oral medications. Maybe it's continuing some treatments that were initial, initially started in the, in the focus of the emergency type time. And then we switch into a chronic focus. And then we're talking really about infrastructure issues, housing, food, water, immunizations and vaccinations, chronic care, counseling, emotional kinds of things. This, that's usually from three weeks or, or 20 days forward. So thinking about where it is, all of these are very, very important kinds of things. What are some common needs? We see physical needs with acute injuries, trauma, lacerations, orthopedic injuries, infections of cuts and abrasions and skin and infections, gastrointestinal problems are very common with bad food and water, pulmonary and respiratory uh, infections, pneumonia, asthma problems, allergies, genital urinary problems, very common. And then there's chronic needs, just like there is in any country at any time, cardiovascular situations, hypertension, stroke, heart disease, congestive heart failure, endocrine things like diabetes, neurologic things, chronic neurologic diseases, headaches, stroke. OBGYN, there's pregnant people when disasters hurt. Who's caring for them? Gynecological issues, pain syndromes, chronic headaches, chronic back pain, skin issues, orthopedic issues, as you can understand. And then there's the whole psychological issue. And I mention this because we don't want to just do physical things. There are cycles, social issues that are just always in countries, but they're really made worse in, in times of trauma like this. So there's grief and there's anger and anxiety, PTSD, depression, disruption of social norms, loss. There's loss of family members, loss of possessions, um, just so much trauma and addressing these psychological issues with listening, with being present, with sitting with people, with counseling, uh, so, so important. And then the spiritual issues. People are facing times of hopelessness, fear, pain, loneliness, these types of things, and, and bringing God into a situation, letting them know that God sent you and he sent the team and God sees them and, and he cares about them and he loves them and that's why you've come as a team and that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way back to God. Jesus is the way to forgiveness of sins and health and healing should never be left out. In my opinion, there's always an opportunity to find time for that. And we can get easily absorbed in the overwhelming physical needs and miss the spiritual or easily overwhelmed ourselves with the psychosocial needs and miss the spiritual needs. And that would be a, a grave mistake. How about the right partners? When people go, and when a team goes, and when individuals go, you need other people. There's some who, who go and hop on the, the plane or hop on the transport to go, but there's others that are absolutely important. Some people provide financial support. Some people provide prayer support. Some people take care of the home front. Some people take care of the the work, the job, the clinic, um, having people that 
believe in you and support you and can be a support team for you as you go and for the team as you go is absolutely important. I already talked about national believers and long-term Christian workers in the country. I can't emphasize this enough that just going on your own without connecting with people, I believe, is a really bad idea. I believe God has people in every place that we can work with the believers in these countries and, and the missionaries in the countries. And rather than interfere with their work, we can enhance their work and at times even come under their leadership and come under their authority and with them. There might be other Christian expatriate responders, other faith-based organizations that you can meet up with, you can connect with, you can serve alongside with, you can come under their banner or under their title or under their leadership if that's the appropriate thing for the situation. So find out who they are. And then other uh, non-governmental organizations and responders. That would include the military. Um, that, that could include the World Health Organizations, the United, Health, excuse me, United Nations High Commission for Refugees, Oxfam. There are many good organizations that do wonderful work, Doctors Without Borders. Can you work together with them and partner with them to serve people? Um, sometimes it can be challenging, but it can be a great partnership if you're able to work through those things. A picture of some of our folks. These people all showed up to pack medications, and we said, you know what, we're going to have a team. Could anybody help come and, and pack up medications for this team so that we go and people love to do that they love to help uh, they love to be asked and they can really feel a part of serving the people maybe they can't go themselves but they have uh, a big part in in being on the team as a support team member all right what about preparation I mentioned that a bit earlier, but medical and non-medical skills are necessary. Basic um, first aid is very useful. EMT people are very useful. Knowledge of diagnosis, knowledge of medications can be helpful, but we, we can't have everybody on the, on the same team. Most of it is primary care. <clears throat> Most of it is first aid. My good friend is a neurosurgeon, and, and he said, you don't really want me on this team, do you? And I said, no. I, I don't think it would be a great place for you um, to use your skills well. Now, if you want to come and carry suitcases, that's so great. But he said, why don't I just write you a check and pray and we'll help you. And I said, that's great. So it's a great team effort because knowing what, what you need there is so important. International cross-cultural experience. I try very hard to pick team members that have had previous international and cross-cultural experience. Because in a disaster response, in, in a crisis response, everything is amped up and it's very difficult. So this is not a great time for somebody to get their feet wet for the first time, so to speak, in an international cross-cultural setting. I want experienced people that have traveled before and dealt with language and food and time change and different money and different politics very important knowing about the location and sometimes this is a crash course or a, a pamphlet or a handout or somebody on the team puts this together but where are we going what's the political nature of this country what's what are important cultural issues what's what's the history of this country what language do they speak how do they handle money um, what's their 
you know, re religion. Just the more you know about the place you're going, um, and sometimes that preparation takes place on on the plane during the travel, but it can be very, very important. Spiritually mature. This is a challenging one because it's a bit difficult sometimes to measure, but I, again, generally wouldn't want someone who's a brand new believer or someone who isn't really very developed in their spiritual life, in their walk with God, in their personal devotional life, in their church life, because in these situations, it's very difficult. There's a lot of demands. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of frustration. There's even a lot of spiritual attack. Just like Paul said, he, you know, he said we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And often that's even more enhanced in these kinds of situations where there's so much suffering and so much trauma and difficulty going on. So taking people that are spiritually mature um, as far as you know and or, or recommended by somebody that you really trust is great and then emotionally and psychologically stable if somebody is really struggling with a uh, an emotional problem with um, issues that are not well under control um, this is not a time to take that person on a trip because the pressure and the demands and the difficulties are much enhanced. That doesn't mean if somebody's had some anxiety and depression in the past, they can't go, but they should be stable and they should be in a healthy place. Physically fit is important. We need people that can um, get up and go. Sleep short uh, hours compared to normal. Hike in if necessary. Sleep on the floor if necessary. Eat food that's not very good if necessary. Um, so being, being physically fit is a really important um, requirement for a lot of these trips. And sometimes we have to tell people, no, I don't think the right resources, finding medications, equipment, supplies, resourcing them. What are you going to need? You're going to need antibiotics. You need painkillers. You need blood pressure medicine. You need a lot of um, bandages and first aid gear thinking that through financial resources as we talked about previously the uh, it's expensive to go so thinking that through and preparing even now for the future prayer support we require every team member have at least 10 people that sign up and say yes I'll pray for you every day before you go while you're there coming back housing food transportation I mentioned that clinic site and translators I mentioned that already and security. These are really important things to think through that need to be taken care of if you're going to be So I'll reiterate a little bit some of the common pitfalls that that we run into and I've mentioned them but I'll, I'll put them up again for you. Wrong expectations. Keeping expectations low. I'll do whatever needs to be done. I'll help out in whatever ways I need to help out. I don't expect to be served and coddled and treated wonderfully. I expect to go and serve. Not being prepared is a problem. Not having prayer people is a problem. A team that doesn't work together, that isn't coordinated and organized well, can be a significant problem. And that needs to be set up from the get-go. Inadequate diligence regarding safety and security. 
that can be a problem. Communication issues, people talking out of school. Sometimes we have to set up very strict communication issues with the folks back home in America or back home wherever you left from so the team members are not communicating regularly different issues with the wrong people. Maybe you have the wrong team for the situation. Going solo is not a good idea, just saying, here I am, I'm, I'm here to serve, take me. Um, I'm just showing up and not having a local partner. I've mentioned that a few times. That can really be a pitfall and should be avoided if at all possible. Here's our keys to success. Intentional preparation, personally and organizationally. If you want to be involved in this, begin now to think it through. Educate yourself, train yourself, interact with people, talk to your teammates and your colleagues and your friends and say, I think I would like to do this. Keep your expectations under control and say, I'm just going to serve. And if nobody recognizes it and nobody sees it and I don't get any credit and I have to do things I don't want to do or haven't been prepared to do, that's okay. Manage your expectations. Keep them low. Flexibility times 10, you never know what's going to happen. That's true on all missions and international travel, but in these kind of settings, it's even more, um, more important than ever. you got to be super flexible. Defining team roles and responsibility, an absolute necessity. Who's responsible for what and how do we fit together and work together? Prayer support, I just mentioned that. That's more important than I can mention. I'm sure there's things that have been successful and tr trouble that's been avoided because the saints of God have been praying on trips we've been on, and maybe someday, maybe in heaven, we'll see that. Briefing and debriefing, getting ready, team meetings, every day at, before the day starts, having a team huddle at the, as the day ends, debriefing, what went good, what didn't work good, how, how can we improve things for tomorrow, who can we pray for, what can we pray for, that's super important. And then even on coming home, let's, let's meet, let's talk, let's deal, let's debrief, let's pray. And sometimes professional help might be needed to help in that situation. A local partnership, I've mentioned that several times, and then a home team that will work with logistics and finance and supplies and communication. Finally, I'll just say again, the leading of the Spirit of God is so absolutely necessary that we're moved by His voice when He says go, when He says not go, when He says to the left, says to the right. Learning to hear the voice of God, recognize the voice of God, and follow the voice of God is absolutely necessary in all of life, but in these situations and scenarios, probably, in my opinion and my experience, more important than in everyday life. To help us, to keep us safe, to keep us out of trouble, to help us to accomplish His will and His purposes, and to be a blessing to people. There we go. I know that was fast. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Um, there's my email if you want to contact me. Thanks for being interested in this. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus in a really desperate world looking for answers and looking for help. God bless you.